that we would see ourselves for who we are and that we would see you for who you are and that we would see our need for Jesus. God, that's, that's always my prayer and that's our prayer this morning. Just open our minds and our hearts and fill this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 37, this is what it says. They, they being Jesus and his disciples, went up from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Flip over to Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. This is what it says. It says, They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, the disciples, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they became indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it, not, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You gotta love kids, right? You just gotta love. I mean, they're precious. They are precious. They are so pure and innocent, especially at a young age. They're like sponges, and they just want to soak everything up. Jude, our, our four-year-old, is at that stage where he's asking a bazillion questions. Why this? Why that? Why, Daddy? Why does this happen? Why is that? And sometimes you just want to pull your hair out. I'm like, you tell me why. You tell me why. They are a gift from God to be treasured, and I find that I have to repeatedly, every day, tell myself that in order to keep my sanity. Kids are a gift from God. 
there to be treasured, right? Just this past week, I was having breakfast with my, my, my friend here, Jamie Cox. He and his wife, Lacey, attend our church here, and they have three little ones. Their oldest is four, right? Is that, is that correct? Their oldest is four, and uh, their youngest is around shepherd's age of nine months. Now, my son, Jude, is also four, and we were sharing about our families and the struggles we have with our kids, and uh, he, he, he said, having kids has brought out emotions in me that I never knew I had. He said, I never knew that I could get so angry and lose my temper or get frustrated so easily until I had kids. I thought, man, do you have a hidden camera in my house? Because you are describing the way I feel. Anybody else experience this? Come on, be honest. Be honest. And it never fails to happen at the worst times, right? Like bedtime. When everybody is already exhausted and tired and you just want them to go to bed. And they just like seem to like have this energy that they got to get out, you know. And you're like deadbeat tired and you're like, come on, come on, come on. Or first thing in the morning, trying to get them ready for school, and nothing seems to go right. They have no concept of time, and you're like, get your shoes on, no, the other foot, you know. <laughs> you put your shirt on, comb your hair, doing all these things. But one of my favorites, and I say that with sarcasm, all right, is when I'm trying to teach Jude something about God. We have a God moment, you know. Like, I, I see this opportunity to kind of tell Jude about God and how awesome he is and about Jesus. And so I sit Jude down, and we're at the table, or we're somewhere in the house, and I'm like, okay, buddy, I said, this is, this, is, this is God, and this is Jesus, and this is how awesome he is, and this is what Jesus has done for you. And I'm having this moment with my son, and I'm thinking, I'm, I have this moment of like, I think he's getting this. I think this is sinking in. I think he's going to get this. And just about that time, Jude says, uh, Daddy, can I have some toast? I'm like, Toast? How about Jesus, man? How about Jesus? You want some Jesus, right? But, I mean, he's four, so i got to show the, the little man some grace, right? But listen, it doesn't, it doesn't change with teenagers, okay? Like, we, we teach our teenagers here on Sunday night, and, and the same thing happens. I mean, we could be sitting here, and we could have this God moment. I'm sitting here telling them about Jesus and how he loves them and how he came and he died for them. And I'm thinking, man, these, these kids, I think they're, they're sinking in. I think they may be getting it. Like, I'm having this, I'm nailing it, you know what I mean? Like, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, a kid will raise their hand, and like, he's going to ask something about Jesus. And guess what? He says, Aaron, when are we going to Winterfest? What? You guys, know, you guys, you guys are shaking your head like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Man. And this is exactly what's happening today in our story. See, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus gathers his disciples, the 12, and he tells them, men, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem. And it's not going to be pretty. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men who hate me, and I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to rise on the third day. And then in Mark chapter 10, they're actually on their way up to Jerusalem, where Jesus will ultimately go to the cross. And he pulls the the 12 aside again, and he says, Men, I'm about to be arrested and delivered into the hands of men who hate me. Jesus is going to go through a mock trial. He's going to be abused. He's going to be struck, slapped, spit upon, rejected. There's going to be violence. There's going to be blood. There's going to be sweat. And there's going to be tears. But this is exactly why Jesus came. He was the Son of God. He was on a mission to redeem humanity 
from our sins. And again, he tells him, he says, listen, tears will only be for the night, but joy will come in the morning. For on the third day, I will rise. And after three days, and after three and a half years of ministry with his disciples, Jesus is about to seal the deal for our salvation. Jesus is about to go to the cross for you and for me and for everybody on this planet. Jesus is about to lay down his life and pour out his blood. And I want you to think about this for a second. Jesus, from an early age, had to know what his mission was. He knew what his ministry was about. And I just wonder if when Jesus went to the temple at 12 years old with his family, and he sat there in the temple and he saw the priest with the lamb in his lap, and the priest slits the lamb's throat, and the blood flows. I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind at that moment. You ever thought about that? What was going through Jesus' mind at that moment? Because that is exactly what he had come for. I mean, Jesus was an awesome teacher. Jesus was an awesome miracle worker. But we needed a Savior. We needed someone who was faultless, someone who was sinless, someone who would lay their life down as a sacrifice for our sins. Because everyone on this, in this room and on this planet have been created by God, and because of sin, we have been separated from God. We have all turned from God to ourselves, and we have fallen short of God's holiness and his righteousness. And, and friends, because of that, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. So Jesus is facing the most difficult, painful thing anyone has ever faced. I mean, even the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's sweating drops of blood because he's so stressed out. And he's praying to the Father, if it is possible to let this cup of suffering pass. And so Jesus is pouring his heart out to his disciples. And in the midst of this conversation about Jesus going to the cross, the disciples are arguing with each other about who is the greatest. Who's the greatest? That is their daddy, can I have some toast moment, right? Jesus is like, are you getting this? Is it sinking in? And they're arguing about who is the greatest. Somewhere along the way, they, they missed the boat. You see, Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his mission. In Mark chapter 10, we read that Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, which is you and I. He came to restore our relationship with the Father that had been broken by sin in our lives. He came to be the perfect sacrifice that we needed. He lived a life that we could not live, and he came to take our place on the cross and endure the full wrath of God on our behalf. Listen, Jesus came down and he had compassion. He saw the multitudes, and that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were just wandering around aimlessly. In John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, Jesus wasn't just bouncing around from town to town with no direction or purpose, but he was about a mission. And after three and a half years of ministry, Jesus' disciples struggled to understand Jesus' mission. They simply were on the same page. And the reality this morning is that there will always be 
obstacles to Jesus' mission. But I believe we learn from these two passages that the biggest obstacle to Jesus' mission is, guess what? Self. Self. It's our own ego. It's our own pride. It's our own self-centeredness. And so we really can't fault the disciples for struggling with this because we are all prone to wonder. Because of sin, our natural tendency is to focus on me. Our natural tendency is to make everything about me. Because of sin, we can easily forget why Jesus came. We can forget that Jesus didn't just save us to live comfortable lives, but he saves us to partner with him on this mission of reconciliation and redemption. And I believe that self, ego, and pride are the biggest obstacles to Jesus' mission today. And so my hope for us this morning is that we would leave here with really just an appropriate smallness of ourselves. That we would have an accurate view of who we are in light of who God is. And then we would see our need for Jesus. Because that, that, that's the biggest reason why people do not come to Jesus is because they just simply don't see their need for him. And the reason they don't see their need for him is because they think they've got it all figured out. It's a pride issue. It's a self-centered. It's ego. So the bottom line for us today is this. Less of me and more of God. How can I make it less about me and make it more about Jesus? How can I make Jesus famous? Now, I love how Jesus handles this situation, right? I mean, the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest. And I don't know what the conversation was like, but I'm sure they were comparing themselves, because that's, that's what you do, uh, is you compare yourselves to others, and, and all the cool things that they had done, right? So Peter probably threw out the I walked on water card. Hey, man, I, I walked on water. I'm sure John reminded everybody that he was a disciple that Jesus loved, because if you read the Gospel of John, John always references himself as, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, right? And I'm sure Philip probably talked about how he was the one who found the boy's lunch, that Jesus turned into the feast, and, and this chatter kind of among, among the disciples kind of went on and on and on and on. I'm the greatest. But I love how Jesus asked the question. He says, what are you arguing about what were you arguing about on the road? Now, in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. See, Jesus was a pro at being able to read people's hearts if you read through the scripture. And so, so the reality is, is you're not hiding anything from Jesus. He knows. But it says the disciples kept quiet. I always try to picture myself in a story as I'm reading stories in the Bible. I always try to picture myself there and what it was like. And I get the sense as I read this that Jesus has an enormous amount of patience with his disciples. He had to, right? He had to have some patience with them because they just didn't get it. I don't see Jesus kind of stewing over their conversation thinking to himself, man, you guys are just absolutely killing me dead. You guys are just, you guys are killing me. What's wrong with you? Are you ever going to get this? Will you ever understand? I don't see Jesus reacting in that way, but rather I see Jesus having patience and compassion towards his disciples. Now, I want to I throw in something a little extra here, okay? This is, this is, this is extra. This is uh, nothing to do with the sermon, but I, I just want, I feel like we need to hear this sometimes because I see Jesus kind of reacting to his disciples, and, and I want to share this with you, and I think this is worth the price of admission just by itself. 
All right, I got to say this, and then we get to go home. We won't. You guys want to hear it? All right. How many of you, when you sin, when you mess up, you just beat yourself up and you think, man, God is disappointed in me. Jesus must just be hard. And you just kind of wallow in that guilt and that shame. How many of us do that? And we find it hard to kind of run back to God. Can I tell you something? That's the good news of the gospel. That's the gospel message is that when we do fail, then when we do mess up big time, the gospel allows us to keep getting back up and running to God. That's the good news. That's the good news. And it doesn't mean that, that we continue to sin thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to keep getting back up, right? We could do that, but, but what it does is it motivates us because of God's great love and his richness and mercy and grace towards us. It makes us want to, to serve and to, to, to do better. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, does that make sense? I don't know. That, that was free there. Um, I just feel like we need to hear that. But it says that Jesus set, are you guys good? Are you guys awake? Do we need to, do we need to stand up and do some calisthenics? Because we'll do it. All right. I guess not. And so and Jesus sat down and he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. So what Jesus is saying here is, boys, we have an ego problem. We have a pride issue. And someone who is prideful or all about self will constantly try to be Comparing themselves to others, they'll try to look good or impress others to see how they measure up. And it's a vicious cycle that enslaves us that really just, it just wears you down. Like, do you ever just get wore down and tired? Pride says, I've figured it out. I've got this. I know what's best for me. The issue that Jesus addresses here sounds easy, but in actuality, it's very difficult. And what I mean is, is if you are walking in pride this morning, it's nearly impossible to see that you are because you are walking in pride. You know what I'm saying? Someone who's prideful, it's hard for them to see that because they're walking in it. We could literally spend all day looking at scripture, scriptures from the Bible of people who were prideful. But this is clearly evident in the passage we read earlier in Mark chapter 10. See, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and he has again shared about his coming suffering, and James and John come to Jesus and they ask about sitting at his right and left in glory. I mean, that's pride. That's ego. That's focus on self. I mean, I mean, Jesus has just poured out his heart. There was no, oh, wow, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, for being the sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for enduring all these things. There was no, wow, Jesus, can we, can we pull you off to the side here and pray for you? Can we help you? Can we serve you? There was no, hey, Jesus, can we prepare a meal for you? Can we do something for you? There was none of that. At this critical hour of Jesus' life, they are thinking about, uh, instead of thinking about him, they're thinking about, what can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? How can I enlarge my little kingdom of self? How can I make my name great? And they were only concerned for themselves. It's ego, it's pride, it's self-centeredness. Sadly, we live in a culture where pride and ego and self is celebrated. I mean, you guys ever watch reality TV? Right? I mean, that stuff is a joke, right? I mean, people get on those shows just so they can be noticed, so that they can make it all about them. 
I don't know, man. I never saw Jesus update his Facebook status with, look how awesome I am, right? I mean, Jesus never tweeted, well, there's another day of living perfectly. Nailed it. Jesus never tweeted that, did he? Uh, I don't see it in Scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Pride makes us blind to our own sins, to our weaknesses, to our failures. Pride, ego, and self-centeredness prevents us from being able to see our need for Jesus. Do you see that? And I'm here to tell you, man, we need Jesus. Do you agree? So, so we've established that because of sin, our natural tendency is to lean towards self-centeredness and self-pride. So, so what's the solution? Well, Jesus is going to tell us what the solution to pride is. He says it's less of you and it's more of God. He says if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. See, the solution to pride is humility. Because humility, check this out, begins with a self-awareness of my sinfulness while at the same time seeing God's holiness and righteousness. That's what humility does. It allows us to see ourselves for who we are and see God for who he is. Now, if I were to ask you to list the attributes of God, if I said, hey, just, just, just make a list of all the attributes of God, I, I bet you that humility would not be at the top of the list. But humility is the path that Jesus chose for himself. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, writes in the book of Philippians chapter 2, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours and Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the foundation, the motivation for humility and service does not come from you. It does not come from, from what you have inside of you. But it comes from Jesus. That's why we need Jesus. It comes strictly from Jesus and the example of Jesus' life and his sacrificial death on the cross. That is what motivates us. That is the foundation for what we do. And just a few days after Jesus had this conversation with his disciples about who was the greatest, Jesus then continues to lead my example, yet at another time, by taking a cow. They're in the upper room. They're getting ready to have this meal together. And Jesus takes this towel, and he, he wraps it around his waist, and he gets down, and he washes the disciples' feet. Now, washing feet in Jesus' day was such a demeaning task, it was reserved for a household servant. And yet, Jesus humbles himself, and he serves his disciples. So, if anyone has a right to boast about anything, it would be Jesus. If anyone has a right to boast about how awesome they are, it would be Jesus. And yet, Jesus took the form of a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. 
And then I love how Jesus drives the point home with his disciples. He takes a little child, and he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Now, this is huge what Jesus tells us here. Right? Because in Jesus' day, children were considered, uh, they weren't considered important. They, they were kind of at the bottom of the food chain when it came to status and importance. I don't know if you guys are familiar with your Bible or not, but there's actually an instance in the New Testament where the little children are coming to Jesus, and the disciples are like, hey, hey, guys, Jesus is a little too important for you guys. And what does Jesus say? He says, no, don't prevent the kids, don't, don't prevent the children from coming to me. Don't prevent them from coming to me. Jesus blows their mind, and he turns that thinking upside down, and he says, nope, until you can humble yourself and become like this child, you're just not getting it. See, Jesus says greatness is not inherent in a person, but only by humbling yourself, making it less of you, and surrendering to Jesus, making it more about God. See, humility begins with us emptying ourselves so that we can receive from God all that we need. And if you're not a Christian this morning, it means surrendering your life to Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. It means admitting that you don't have it all figured out, that you don't have your life all put together, and that you need Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And if you are a Christian here this morning, it means that you live for God's glory in such a way that whatever you do, whatever situation you're in, that you do it all for the glory of God. And that plays out in several different ways in your, in your marriage relationship. I'm going to tell you something. My natural tendency is not to serve my wife. Because of sin, my natural tendency is to make it all about me. How can my wife serve me, right? So because of Jesus, I need Jesus. And so Jesus helps me by me engaging my wife. Honey, how can I serve you? What's going on in your heart tonight? How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? It means that, that I take the lead on leading my wife spiritually. It means that, hey, man, we, we need to read this book on marriage. And we need to study and we need to look at scripture and we need to do this. Now, I'm here to tell you I don't do that perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. You can ask her. She'll be here second service. She'll tell you. He ain't do that perfectly, right? Uh, but that's what that means. That's what that means. It, it means financially. Listen, man, I, I, if it was up to me, my, my monthly budget would, would be way more than what it is because I want it to be about me. I would love to go out and play golf several times a month. I would love to just be able, you know, you know what I'm saying? I would love to do those things, but I understand that it's not about me. And because of Jesus, he allows me to make sacrifices, understand it's not about me. It's about me putting my family first. It's about me leading my kids to know Jesus. And, and speaking of kids, it's about parenting. How does, how does my parent reflect, my parenting reflect this less of me and more of God? I can tell you, man, there are numerous times where I am putting my kids to bed, not Shepard so much because he's only nine months right now, so he's kind of easy, you know, but Jude, man, four years old, I mean, like, eight thirty, nine o'clock rolls around, I'm, I'm beat, I'm tired, and sometimes I just want to kick him in the room and say, good night, and shut the door, 
not literally kicking me in the room, maybe pushing me a little bit, but I'm serious. Like, there are times I'm like, man, just go to bed. And there's, but he's like, man, let's wrestle on the bed. Let's do this. Let's, <sighs> I, don't, I don't display that in front of him, but inside I'm like, come on. So I, I wrestle on the bed with him. Or I lay in bed with him and I, and I ask him questions, man, how was your day today? And I get four-year-old answers and I want to, you know, punch a wall or something. <laughs> but, but that's what it means. It's not about me. It's less of me and more of God. And because of Jesus, I can do those things. Now, do I do it perfectly? By no means. By no means. I struggle. Sometimes I, I, I lose my temper with Jude. And I, I, I be, I, I, that's when I come back, and I'm like, hey, buddy, daddy lost his temper. That's why I need Jesus, man. That's why I need Jesus. After all, it's the point, man. It's, it's less of me, more of God. It's about pointing people to Jesus. Now, now, here's the good news for us this morning. Uh, even though the disciples did not understand the mission of Jesus, even though they weren't on the same page, and even though we will have days where we are prone to wonder, where we get sidetracked and we revert back to this, it's all about me. The good news is Jesus knew his mission. He did not get distracted. He went to the cross, and Jesus died. He was mocked. He was spit upon. He had every obscenity that you could think of yelled at him while he was on the cross. Listen, he was embarrassed and he was put to shame for you and me. And then Jesus rose from the dead and John chapter 20 says that on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. After this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, the disciples didn't get it the first time. They didn't get it the second time. There were probably other times that aren't even recorded in the scripture that they didn't get it. But he rose from the dead, and they could see his nail-print hands and his pierced side. And he said to them, like he says to us today, just like the Father has sent me, I am sending you on a mission. Chester Christian, I just want you to know this morning that we're supposed to be on a mission. That, that's why we're here. That's our purpose, to be on a mission that is bigger than any of us, that will have an eternal impact. Neil was just saying this this past week. He says, man, people just need to, to know and understand that, that the impact has eternal significance. Right, we were just having that conversation this past week. It's about trading in my little story where everything is about me. It's about me trading in my ego and my pride and myself and laying it over to God. And if you think about it, that's not really a big sacrifice at all anyway. We all have the opportunity this morning to abandon our little story for the chance to get in this glorious massively big story of God. We just got to get out of the way. We just got to get out of the way. We have an opportunity to surrender our lives to Jesus, to become less, and to make much of God. And this is my prayer for you this morning. You can write this down. Is that you, that God will reveal areas in your life 
where you are prideful, or you have an ego problem, or you're about self-centeredness, whether it be in your marriage, your workplace, your parenting, finances, whatever that may be, that God will reveal those things to you. And, and I want to encourage you to pray that. God, just, just show me those. And maybe even invite other people into your life to speak that, because, like I said, sometimes we don't see it. Maybe, maybe don't ask your wife, because I don't want to see a fight break out. But, but maybe ask somebody that's close to you, another, another man, another woman. And say, hey, man, well, what areas in my life do you see that I'm struggling with pride or ego? Where, where can I change? Where, where can I make it less about me and more about God? And then if you're, my other prayer is that simply you just surrender your life to Jesus. That you would just get tired of trying to please people and try to impress people and trying to compare yourself to other people. That you would just stop trying to act like you have it all put together. And that you would just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And just live and rest in that grace and mercy. Can we do that this morning? Are you guys awake? Do I need to preach this again? Because I'll, I'll do it. David's like, no. Just kidding. Well, let, let's pray. And um, listen, I, I'm going to be over here at the cross. And if you want to come over and have a conversation, we can do that. Or if you want to catch me later today or email me or give me a call and let's chat about something, we, we can do that as well. But uh, that's my prayer this morning. So let's pray, and then the band's going to come out. We're going to sing a song and uh, continue to worship King Jesus. Father, we just thank you for your words. We thank you for um, examples of disciples who just royally messed things up and made it all about them. Because, God, we, we do this every day. God, I just thank you that you are so patient with us. God, your desire is to to see us recognize our need for Jesus and to surrender ourselves to that every single day. Father, thank you for that grace and that mercy. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you give us that empowers us to be able to live this life. And Father, we just pray this morning that your spirit will continue to move and that you will just continue to open our eyes and our hearts and that you will convict us of areas in our life, God, where we need to surrender to you and make it, make it all about you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.